Okay, good morning. Welcome to Hot Topics. It is 9.09 on my watch, so we're just going to kind of jump in. Bethany's printing out our new handout, so I thought I would take a moment to review a few things. Um, Today, we are finishing this kind of three-week segment on issues related to homosexuality and gender identity. Um, Next week, we're going to hit pornography, and the week after that, we're going to hit, um, the title is Women, Modest or Sexy. Um, and talk a little bit about modesty generally. Um, and then the week after that is actually a missions conference, so kind of just to get you thinking. And then we'll begin kind of a random segment of things through March and mid-April, including but not limited to depression, millennials versus baby boomers, politics, to vote or not to vote. So we're going to be hitting this just this smattering of things. And then in May, we'll, late April and May, we'll be doing kind of what I'm calling family matters. So... Um, are you teaching all those guys? No. Uh, throughout March, we'll be... Throughout March, uh, Mike Kammerer is going to be teaching one. Matt Kammerer and I will co-teach one. Um, thanks, Beth. Um, here's your handouts, everybody, fresh off the presses. Um, Mike, Mike Boyle and I will team teach one. But I, So I say I'll be teaching about half from the end of starting in March through the rest of the semester. Um, but I will be here nearly every week. So... Um, so I'm excited about that. Um, appreciate your participation in this kind of. No, I got this one. Good, thanks. Per- appreciate your participation in this kind of learning environment that we've been creating together. Um, and then just as a reminder, um, I think that's kind of the re- last reminder, actually. So um, today we're going to be talking about how expressing compassion towards people struggling with same-sex attraction or gender identity disorder. And um, this is actually something I feel really excited about to the level at which we hit it last week. But I'm excited to kind of reinforce some elements and kind of dig deeper. And so um, let me pray, and then we will go for it. So, Father, thank you for this time that we have together. pray that your spirit would be here with us uh, as we learn together um, how to express compassion to people who so sorely need it, especially after um, decades of what they perceive to be, and at times really was, just really harsh judgment. And so we pray that we would be people that embody um, compassion and kindness and love, um, and that today this would be a big step forward in that direction. So we pray all this uh, in the name of the one who has shown us uh, the most compassion uh, by becoming just like us and suffering to the point of death. His name is Jesus. Amen. Hey, Sue, come on in. Um, so, um, if you grab your handouts um, and flip to all of page one, is kind of a review of what we've been covering the last couple weeks uh, regarding same-sex attraction and gender identity. Uh, this idea of choosing—it's not something anyone chooses; it's something they find themselves experiencing. This three-tier dis- distinction between same-sex attraction versus homosexual orientation versus gay identity. One of the things I, I wanted to mention was back almost two weeks ago now, I guess. Um, I mentioned that it's only in the early 1900s, like maybe after World War II, that we started actually being able to use in the English language the sentence, I am gay, to refer to someone's sexuality. And I've been watching a lot of Downton Abbey lately. Um, And in Downton Abbey, one of the servants whose name is Thomas is gay. But they have no language to express this to each other. And so they say things like, he's a troubled soul. Like one of the uh, the kitchen maid in one of the in the first season is kind of digging his chili, but every but and while everybody kind of knows that his attractions are for men, they don't really know how to talk about it. It's just really interesting. 
so in our culture, we would say something like, oh, well, Thomas is gay. But they actually, this is taking place at pre-World War, like around World War I. Even at that time, there was no sentence in the English language that expressed that in the way that they needed to. Um, so I think that's just interesting. Um, gender identity disorder is what we talked about last week, which is all of those issues, including um, a person's feeling trapped in the opposite, bo- the opposite se- the body of an opposite sex, and so including surgery or cross-dressing and things like that. So do you have any questions about the things that we've covered for these first two weeks? That maybe something has been a hole or things like that that you'd like me to... I'm still struggling, excuse me, struggling with choice. Yes. How so? Um, my sister used to work at the Ritz-Carlton. Yeah. And she said all of the employees, all the men were gay. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, she's, she talks like that. Right. But anyway, uh, she spoke to this one waiter about uh, this condition, and he said, uh, I didn't choose to be this way. Do you think I would have chosen to be this way? Right. It was unpopular. Right. In the 60s, possibly. Right. So I think one of the things we want to be careful to say is that, like, they find themselves experiencing these attractions, but then they choose to act on them. It's the acting. Right. So this is why, like, what we would say to biblically, the temptation is not sinful. The action is. Right. So you can have a Christian who is struggling on some level with same-sex attraction, but... By not, but choosing not to act on it. I could choose to have an affair with Joel. Right. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but I know it's wrong. Right. I'm, I'm choosing not to do that. Right. So we kind of have to think in terms of attraction and experience versus action. Right. So they're experiencing something that they may or may not choose to act on. Um, and so that's important. Yeah, Bert. The experience. I think this is, this is huge because yeah? I've. I've talk with some other men and things about in one-on-ones and things. Yeah. And exper- the other word is experimentation. Yeah. I'm glad you're bringing this up because this, yeah. Because I think there's either it was, um, boy, they experienced it um, either by accident or right. by uh, you know, some type of something that was brought upon them. Right. And then they feel... Uh, Possibly an experimentation mode. Right. Yeah, and I, I think. And, and then it develops. Bingo. Develop. Yeah. And I think that's probably where the, the even so then take our conversation about experience versus action yeah. becomes a little gray or stickier because it would appear that in that moment they chose they chose to act on maybe even something that they weren't experiencing, right. um, and experimented with mm-hmm. it and. Um, Bert's, when I sent, it, I sent an email out to a handful of people in the class and just asked for some questions that they had, and Bert raised a really good point about talking to people who have experimented or maybe had a single experience with like a college roommate or a friend. And one of the things I responded to Bert with was that's probably a lot more common in my generation in a certain, or at least a lot more publicly talked about in my generation than in yours. Because in yours, it was a much more shameful thing. Whereas in mine, I, I think what I told you is like, it's like, oh yeah, I like vanilla ice cream, but why not try chocolate every once in a while? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's, there's an interesting element of when I would, and I would say a couple of things. I would say experimentation happens on different bases for men and women. For women, it happens on a very emotional basis. So a friendship that becomes very codependent. 
And for men, it's almost like a sexual exploit or foray that may or may not speak to any further attraction or experience that they have. Isn't it like a mental issue at all? Um, um, depends. I mean, really, no, in, until nineteen, until like the mid nineteen sixties, it was classified as a mental illness in the statistic manual that psychologists use to diagnose things. So there's a manual that'll say, like, here's seven symptoms of ADD, and you have to manifest four of them consistently to be diagnosed. So there was that kind of diag- that was diagnosable until the nineteen sixties, and then or seventies, and then around that time. The American Psychological Association said that this is no longer a, an illness. And so I don't want to use the word illness or ab- is it abnormal? Yeah. But I would really want to use the words like a struggle or an experience of brokenness. And one of the things that we've kind of been talking about together is that all of us experience brokenness in our sexuality on some level or another. And so like, there's, is there, a, is there at its core a difference between the married man of, with three kids who looks at porn and the single guy who expresses his sexuality in a homosexual, like lives a homosexual lifestyle, before God, they are equally sinful expressions of our sexuality. Um, is and both have ginormous um, consequences in a relationship, right? Um, so is it is it an illness? Is it abnormal? Well, kind of. I mean, Romans one would say like they've done like they have detach themselves from reality in order to pursue this. So would Ephesians 4. But on the other hand, I think we really want to try to think of it as much as possible in terms of um, uh, of a brokenness, which is not to deny its sinfulness or wrongness, but um, a lot of, yeah, but we'll kind of get to why we want to be careful with our language a little bit today. So any maybe one more question, and then we'll dive into our material for today. They probably Yes. Well, or, or the, the, the big A word, which is abomination. Yeah. Which is, in, which is biblical, right? So, well, let's flip over to page two here. Um, we're going to jump to 7A. Um, so, uh, I'm going to read, listen to the following quote from Henry Nowen, who's a personal hero of mine. You can feel, I would like you to circle or underline anything that strikes you as you listen. And then um, at your tables, just discuss this question. When you have received spiritual hospitality, how did that change you or make you feel? Um, so let me, let me read you this quote from Henry Nowen. Uh, Listening is much more than allowing another to talk while waiting for a chance to respond. Listening is paying full attention to others and welcoming them into our very beings. Listening is a form of spiritual hospitality by which you invite strangers to become your friends to get to know their inner selves more fully and even dare to be silent with you. I'll read that just one more time. I'm going to grab pens for the tables because I forgot to throw some on there. Thank you. Listening is much more than allowing another to talk while waiting for a chance to respond. Listening is paying full attention to others and welcoming them into our very beings. Listening is a form of spiritual hospitality by which you invite strangers to become friends, to get to know their inner selves more fully and even dare to be silent with you. So go ahead and answer that. Maybe you've underlined or circled things. Go ahead and answer this question. When you've received spiritual hospitality, how did that change you or make you feel? And let's say that I will give you four minutes to discuss this. So when this clock hits like 22 after. There's not really anywhere that I can hang this. So we're just going to... 
I'm going to go ahead and bring you back. Um, what were some of what were some of the things you guys were talking about um, at your tables there? I know. I'm blind. I, yeah. <laughs> or just keep scrolling. <laughs> what were you guys talking about? Uh, I find it's uh, a comforting thing. Okay, I feel comforted. Good. What else? You know, there's two perspectives. It's the different sides of the issue. Yeah. So the feeling comforted is the probably the person being listened to. Yeah. Heard. Yeah. What? And then the second one is. It's difficult. Okay. For some. Is it difficult to listen or to be heard? It is difficult for most people. It's difficult to listen. It takes effort. Most of thing is very hard. They're so busy trying to come up with something while the other person is talking. Yeah, oh, hey. Um, I, that's why I think that quote is very actually profound, because one of the things he mentions is, uh, one of the things he mentioned is it's not just waiting to figure, like waiting for them to stop so I can say my next thing. Right? Which is really like when you're in a mentoring or counseling or like kind of what, like even think of last week's case study, like on the phone with the aunt who like, who's... I think it was son is becoming her daughter, right, or wants to, it's really easy to be sitting there and go, oh, what do I say next, what do I say next, what do I say next, right? Which to me is, is this is, um, is a feeling of control and fear, because if I don't have the, the great thing to say, what else struck you about this quote? Back on the subject of being the listener, Yeah. Um, I spend 40 hours a week fixing people's issues that tell me to listen to yeah. And so my instinct is to immediately try to fix things for them, right. uh, which is generally not the best uh, way to go about listening. For my line of work, it is. But yeah. in, in, uh, you know, outside of that, it's really not a good way to go. Right, yeah. I think that Joel Burke's like, that's a really... Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. We don't want to be heard, so we just want to be heard. Yes, you mentioned females don't do that as much as males. Yeah. They want to fix it. I just want you to hear me. Right. Understand what right. I'm going through. Right. Um, to, to potentially cause a ruffle, there's a wonderful episode of Modern Family where the husband, Phil, ends up under a, like, they have a gift certificate that his wife doesn't want to use, so he goes to a spa and is sitting in this row of women getting, like, manis and pedi- a mani-pedi. And they're having this conversation, and he's like, so wait a minute. When she says... Traffic was so bad on the highway, what I'm not supposed to say is, well, why don't you take the alternate route that I always tell you to do? I'm supposed to say, I know, isn't that just horrible? And all the women are like, yes, yes. So that's very true. Yeah. Um, The the last part there where it says, and even dare to be silent with you. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. By show of hands, how many of us like silence, right? Um, I want to just point your attention you can just jot this down Job chapter 2 Job chapter 2 verses 11 through 13 I would invite you just to sit with this passage sometime this week Um, now when Job's three friends if you don't know the story of Job here's the deal Job, really awesome guy tested by the devil Um, 
Now, when Job's three friends heard of all of this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place. And he says their names and where they came from. Uh, they made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and catch this, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Our tendency in the face of suffering is to to talk, right? Um, and yet, for seven days and seven nights, like Kyle, the extrovert here, like, tried that for like an hour. <laughs> I'm by myself. I think I've said this before. I Steph's at work all day, and I'm at home, like, working and writing, and she comes home, and I'm like, hey, how's your day? What's going on? Hey. You know? So. One of the things that really struck me, too, is in the middle where it said, is form of spiritual hospitality by which you invite strangers to become friends. I was really, I, I can see that that is a, when you're in that environment, you're talking with a stranger to listen to that. But I immediately, because this this one, I've never heard this expression before, the spiritual person in the hospitality. But yeah. I changed that to be friends become brothers. Interesting. Because it's the Okay, so let me let me ask this question then. So one of the things we talked about with the issue of like the gay community is that we feel kind of hurt by them and they feel hurt by us. So I think this statement, uh, strangers become friends, is very interesting because what would it look like for the church to really listen? And if this quote proves true, would two communities that are alienated from each other actually begin um, to talk? And I'm actually going to steal a little bit of your thunder. Um, I don't know if you saw a post, I, I posted on Facebook this week where um, the, basically the man of the biggest gay activist group, the guy who leads it, um, wrote this very touching article on Huffington Post about um, his friendship with Esther Cathy, who's the guy that owns Chick-fil-A, and talks a lot about um, Cathy's, um, or Caddy's, however you say it, um, the way that their friendship developed and how well Cathy listened to him and how, like, there's a picture of them, like, Kathy took him to the Chick-fil-A bowl and, like, sat next to him, and they've had a lot of conversations, and actually because of that, um, the, this guy called off his organization's picketing of Chick-fil-A. Right? Isn't that interesting? And because of, and then on the other hand, Kathy changed their funding so that um, they're not supporting anti-gay, like, vocally anti-gay things. And so, like, how interesting, and yet at no time did he, and even this guy writes, it's the, it's the homosexual guy writing it, no point did Kathy ever like deny that he thinks what he's doing is wrong. Like he always, it was very clear. I thought it was just a very, like, reading, I'll, I mean, I'll just show you this picture. I'm going to read a little bit of it. And just going to read us a little bit of it, but I think it's just a very touching, like, moment. Because well, he even uh, makes a joke about how he's at a football game. <laughs> he's like, right, like exactly. I would be at, like, a football game. Right, yeah, and so, I mean, it, <laughs> If you're not my Facebook friend, then become mine and go on there and read that. I thought it was really no, great. I, de- I, I defriended. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't read that book. Don't read my book. Read my, yeah. All right, so let's go ahead and jump to 7B. I appreciate your insight here. Um, before we do, I want to give you a couple keys. So stay on page two. I just want to run through um, just this basic. So I, a couple weeks ago, I talked to you about the beginning of change is found when a person who is struggling with SSA solidly decides on their identity in Christ. Using this verse, Galatians 2.20, is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
Um, the beginning of change for anybody struggling with any issue is when they decide that their identity in Christ is most important. Okay, and um, what a big part of Mark Yardhouse's research is that the people that choose his words to disidentify with their experience of same-sex attraction um, generally do so because they decide on that something else is more important than their sexuality. A person who says, I am gay, has decided their sexuality is at the very core of their being and therefore is their most defining thing. But the Christian's most defining thing is Jesus, the most defining person. And so when they start doing that, that's <coughs> the beginning of changes. When that decision is made, um, kind of like the story of the Pearl of Great Price, a man who finds a pearl, who is on the lookout for choice pearls, found one, and upon finding it, sold all that he had have bought it, right? And so the idea is that they see the pearl of great price, Jesus, so valuable that they'll sell even their struggles with sexuality, which other people have chosen to define them and say no. Um, and a lot of people using this picture there um, tend to view um, change for homosexualism. One day they'll wake up and if they just pray hard enough, they will be not gay. And I found this picture and I thought it was just very, very telling because it's just, I think that's, it's the light switch that we picture. But one of the things that I've, been sure I've wanted to give you is that it's not the change for a person experiencing SSA is not a, a light switch, it's a dimmer. Okay, and so what we're talking about is change along a continuum. And so Mark Darkhouse has this long quote, if you don't mind me reading it. It appears that most people will not change their orientation, if by that we mean moving from completely gay to completely straight. But change can occur along a continuum. Sometimes same-sex attraction does not diminish. Welcome, grab a seat. Um, does not diminish. Does diminish, sorry, does diminish. And in one of the most recent studies of attempted change through Christian programs, many participants who continued in their change effort reported a decrease in attraction to the same sex so that chastity was not a burden, not the burden it had been before. A smaller number of participants also reported an increase in attraction to the opposite sex or to their spouse. Now, if you're like me, you read this with some sense of disappointment because what we, what we kind of all want is for them to just like wake up and like be fine according to whatever our standard is. But the reality is that there's something about the struggle that happens that is found so deep in, at the level of the soul that it takes a long time and changes often incremental and maybe sometimes doesn't even feel like very, like there doesn't even feel like there was change to some people looking on the outside in. Um, but I think this idea of a continuum is really important because um, what we have to grow to appreciate, I think, as the church in like the coming century, is that um, things will happen more slowly than we want them to on on every issue. And I think it reveals in our the desire for us to have like change right away does reveal a sense um, that we are a little impatient with the pace at which the spirit works. Now, the next question, the logical question should be, well, doesn't, do you believe that God can heal anything? Sure. And actually, there are plenty, plenty and plenty of stories of guys who, like, have become what they would call the next gay and lived that lifestyle and got married and had kids and are happy and all that kind of stuff. But for every one of those stories, there's probably five of the guy who can't quite get there. Could you talk about the continuum that people... Um, are on in the struggle, maybe for those who haven't been here, and, then, yes. and so that there's more of an understanding Thank of you. where we're moving to. Our right. So, and I, I think I know. 
why don't you talk about the continuum, co-teacher? Because I don't want to spend five minutes talking about something and you go, I don't think that's what I mean. Well, on page one, there's the, the three circles that we've kind of talked about in the past. And so the biggest circle being SSA, or same-sex attraction. And then within that, the homosexual orientation, and then within that, the gay identity. So you could also do that kind of on a line. You could start with heterosexual on one side and gay identity on the other side and work your way over. Um, So for those of you who haven't been here, the SSA is someone who's experiencing some form of attraction to someone of the same gender or same sex. Um, which can be a one-time thing, a few-time thing, a more continual thing. Could be an emotional thing, could be a physical thing. Right, and and could just be with one person. So that's why it's the biggest circle, because it can be a broader range of things. And then the next one is more of a choice of saying, like, this is where my um, attractions are, are towards someone of the opposite sex more. Yeah. Am I saying that right? Yeah, I think orientation, okay. the way I picture it, is launching an arrow. This is just the direction in which my, my sexuality moves, and I can't change that. My attractions are durable and persistent enough in this direction. So that would be the um, homosexual orientation, and within that is the kind of living that out and saying, this is who I am, what you just talked about, saying my identity is my sexuality. So when we talk about someone having change on a continuum, obviously it depends on where they are starting as to what maybe healing or change means. So for someone who's maybe just struggling with SSA occasionally, it could be that they find their attractions turning more toward opposite, the opposite gender. Like he talks about uh, in that Mark Gerhouse quote, this is something at the end, a smaller number of participants reported an increase in attraction to the opposite sex. So that could be someone who's in the middle or way at the right. Um, or for someone who said, I am gay, this is who I am, they may move more toward just saying, I am same-sex attracted, but will not act on those things, and I'm no longer identified by those attractions. So we referenced Christopher Yuan, who's a professor at Moody, who um, does a lot of talking and speaking on this, and that's where he has moved. He's moved from um, not knowing Christ and, you know, (laughs) dealing drugs and being in prison and coming to Christ, and now would say, I am identified by the fact that I'm a believer in Christ and a Christian. Um, but for this time being, at least he's choosing to be celibate and to not pursue his sexual attractions. And then, what, and the problem with what we do is when we want a person to move from here to here, we discount the significant amount of growth and energy and struggle it took to get from here to here, or here to like here, right? Um, and I think that that's why Chris Yuan's point, and by the way, about Chris Yuan, if you go, his name is on, this, on your handout. If you go on YouTube and you YouTube him, you can find him sharing his testimony at a number of colleges, like that might be in three parts. Very, very good. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing story. So if, if you're looking for that, um, my, part of my desire is just to kind of resource you. Um, he would say the question is not, the Christian's goal is not to become heterosexual any more than the Christian's, like, than a, because a straight Christian's goal is to be heterosexual. Okay? Like the goal of any Christian is to be holy and like Christ. And what does that mean for every individual? Is, a, is, a, is different, might be very different than what we want. Hopefully that just helps explain why it's not a, the switch off and on. What are your but... questions about that? <clears throat> I know. It's kind of, like, you have to, like, it's one of those moments where, like, we tend to see, and part of it is because we, our sexual, the way that we define sexuality in our culture is binary. So it's hetero or homosexual. Right. Um, and actually, Janelle Williams-Paris's book, 
um, I'm going to just kind of drop this bomb, get ready for this. There's a culture in Southeast, um, in the Pacific Islands that has five genders. Um, this one is, the middle one is what we would call intersex. So a person who's born with both, and they're generally like, considered the most holy. This would be it's like their spiritual. This is why we and like these would be their most female or male, like traditionally speaking. But they also have a gender in their society that is a male that is attracted to males and that does all the work that a female does in their culture, and that's okay. There's also a female in their culture who um, does all the things that men do and is attracted to women. So in their cult, while we have binary, which makes us think light switch, there's other cultures in the world that actually have this five-stage thing. And so that stop, that helps us, like, the point of that is to help you kind of zoom out and see, actually, there's this tribal culture in Southeast, in the Pacific Islands that has actually kind of come to understand that there's maybe some more shifting there. Which is um, not to endorse it. Which is not to endorse it. By the way, I'm just saying, you know, I'm, right. what I'm trying to do is, like, actually, there's, a, there's an element where we deal with this problem like, like white people do, right? And like, like rich white people do in America do. And then what we need to think of, like, well, there's actually other cultures around the world, including um, women in Albania, right? Yeah, this is so interesting. Go ahead and talk about this. There's women in Albania who give up their right to be women and dress like men and um, can do jobs that men can do and can smoke and can drink and can travel. And they give up their female identity. They don't pursue anything sexually. They're, I think they're called sworn virgins, I believe. And they just take on a man's life so they can provide for their mother if there are no sons or if they just want more freedom. And, like, you see pictures of them and you would never know that they're women. It's just really – and it's, hap it's happening more and more, I guess, again in Eastern Europe because of financial difficulties. So it's, a, it's a really interesting. And so all that's to say – we're not endorsing these things. What I'm trying to kind of give you this appreciation for is there's a dynamic to sexuality that is not black and white. Uh, and it's, which is not to say it's gray and therefore under, without ability to be understood. What I'm saying is that there is a continuum along which a person moves in their sexuality as they choose to pursue Christ that may or may not land them over here, but may land them in this place that I'm going to choose to be celibate, which is kind of a verse that we talked about a few weeks ago, which was Katie's group did it, which was like, if you can choose to be celibate, you should. For the cause of Christ. For the cause of Christ, if you're, especially if you're experiencing that level of attraction. Um, and so what we want to help you understand is that there's, there's this kind of continuum so that when you're dealing with this person, the question is not so-and-so, how do I help you become straight? The question is so-and-so, how do we help you pursue Christ in the fullest extent of what that means? So, yes? How about gay pastors who know what uh, biblically the truth is? Yeah, and we could have done a whole session on biblical reinterpretation. Um, and this is where we have to suffice it to say that what we can never do is take our issue and interpret the Bible through it. We have to, uh, we have to, you take, you can't look at your issue and make the Bible say what it wants. You have to look at the Bible and have it speak to your issue. Okay, and essentially what's happening in our culture is we're saying, this is my issue, so how do I make the Bible justify my behavior? Um, when the real question is not, how does the Bible justify my behavior? It, the question is, how does the Bible address my behavior or address my struggle? Um, this is the issue. Um, this is the modern-day Scopes Monkey trial from the early 1900s of when they first threw evolution out, when they first demanded that you start teaching evolution in schools and knocked out teaching God in public schools, right? 
because now it's, it's, it's the new fundamentalist modernist crisis of what does the Bible really say about X? And so at that point, it's we pray for them to see the truth and the spirit to lead them to that truth. And we also have to be remarked, we have to like note the ability of a person who wants to be deceived to remain deceived, right? Um, big issue. I don't want to, I kind of want to keep us going. So if you look over to page three, to seven B, we're going to try to have, we're going to have to kind of count through some stuff here. Can you take those um, Those verses? No, we're good. Um, I don't want to take up too much room. So, examine the following passages of scripture. I'm going to sign each table one. Julie's table has Proverbs 18. Um, Bert's table has James 1.19. And uh, Art's table has Colossians 3.12. At your table, as a group, Draw a symbol that represents your assigned verse and post it at the front of the room. You can see my example of Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we are to build, become every way, to be built up into every way into him who lays the head. So speaking the truth in love. And I could only think of truth as a check mark. I didn't know what else to make truth. So that's my symbol. You can use words in it if you need to. If you actually look at page four, there's another symbol for that verse. Um, but what I'd like you to do is draw a symbol. So pick your artist and like chat through this, and we'll post these at the front of the room, and you will will explain like why we did that. But I need us to do this fast so we can get to kind of the case study here, which we may just do a little differently. So why don't you take five minutes to do that, which will be when this clock says um, fifty four. There's some Bibles on the shelf if you need some. So when this clock says uh, not fifty four, forty nine. Math. So, and you'll use those markers to draw that. We're going to go ahead, but we're going to ask um, the Proverbs 1821 group just to briefly explain why you drew what you did in 25 seconds or less. Well, the, uh, the U is actually a tongue, and it says that death and life are in, the, are in the power of the tongue. So it's just identifying that we can hurt and harm people through our tongue, or it can be an encouragement. Perfect. Very good. Um, what about this back table, Colossians 3.12? Um, well, it's not that all homosexuals are sad, which is on the left side, but uh, many of them are, yeah. because they're struggling, and and then I, I saw on the right-hand side that is a believer who is happy about it, okay. but there's also the word judge, judging in the middle, okay. and that's uh, part of the problem. Okay. Um, very good. Now, what do you guys got here? Robin, you can, there's a handout, and then somebody you can actually grab Robin a chair. Thanks. What do we have? Oh, is there one there? Never mind. Oh, good. Oh, we're ahead of leave. All right. Um, well, finally. Um, so tell me, this last group is um, James 119. What, what, why do we have this here? Because the verse says, um, Know this, my beloved brother, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So we 
made the beer, the ear unusually big, so it gives the impression that they're quick to hear. Very good. We put the mouth, the speaking thing, yeah. empty to symbolize it, slow to speak. Very good. And then you see this kind of like thing right here on his forehead. Right, yeah. That's um, an anger sign with the crossover. Very good. So. Very good. Um, Nathan, do be a deer and get your mom and yourself a chair over here in the corner. Um, okay, so here's what we do. We've got 20 minutes left, and I really want us to hit um, this case study, and I really want us to hit this closing word. I know you will. But So what we're going to do is we're going to do the case study together as a large group. So if you look at page 3, the bottom there, um, I'm just going to read the case study out loud, and then we'll together maybe come up with some responses. Now, as we come up with these responses, a couple things. I want you to keep in mind these passages of Scripture that we use. Um, and then I also and other passages of scripture we've used in the past. And then I also want you to just keep in mind what change looks like as we talked about it. Um, and then we'll kind of discuss a response. So go ahead and read along with me this case study. Um, last week, your small group met for the first time after the holidays. As usual, John and Barbara, good friends of your family, stay after the group has left to chat and help clean up the kitchen. While you're chatting, John and Barbara tell you that their son Daniel, their youngest away at college, came out to them over break. He confessed to them that he's been struggling with same-sex attraction and has been going to counseling at school to deal with it. He is sure that he doesn't want to act on these attractions and that his identity as a Christian is more important than his experience, but that he's struggling to reconcile his faith and his attractions. John and Barbara have fallen to pieces. They are angry at Daniel for straining, for staining their reputation, and they feel like he's blaming them for his struggle. John tells you that he instructed Daniel to pray that God would take, a, oh, take this away, and Barbara wants him to stop choosing to feel this way. They both feel that Daniel is sinning grievously, and John proudly tells you about the, about the reaming he gave Daniel for being a gay. As you listen, you feel conflicted. John and Barbara obviously want you to praise them for how they spoke to Daniel. Yet you know that this was not a compassionate response, much less a biblical one. Looking at John and Barbara, you engage them in a discussion of what they're missing with this issue. So as you look at that, maybe take a moment just to think about their response. In light of, just some, of the, in light of some of these <coughs> verses that we talked about, in light of your understanding of how the struggle works, um, what do you, what, what, how would you want to respond to John and Barbara? They are another group you need to listen to. <laughs> yes, very good, yeah. Listening, very good. What else? Well, first of all, I believe shock is the first thing. That's how I would feel. Right, because, oh, it's Daniel? Yeah. No. Oh, shock at the parents' response? No, no, shock at what Daniel is saying to his parents. Okay. Maybe ask a Kyle question. So how is that working for you? Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> What else? Ask you would ask questions? At this point, he has not acted upon it. Is that a story? Let's say we don't know. What if he had? What if he, as to use Bert's word from earlier, experimented a little? It isn't the point. What do you mean? Whether he has or not is not the point. It says he's struggling with the attraction. He knows he wants to be a Christian. <coughs> 
Uh, the implication here is that he hasn't. Yeah. The first thing you need to do is to, um, one, tell the kid, thank you for talking to me. You need to show him some emotional support. You need That's to encourage him and say, glad that you want to be a Christian and do what God wants you to do. Plus 50 points. Thank you. Yeah. I like it. And the last awesome thing you ever do is tell a kid, don't feel that way. Right. Because it certainly doesn't work with a wife. <laughs> I just don't feel that way. Right? That doesn't work. I think as a side note, anytime someone tells you a deep struggle or a hard thing, your best response can be thank you for telling me. Yeah. Because you don't know how much that took for them. What do you say to his parents? Yeah, remind them that you know, they're going to fall in love and that this is just a sin that they're struggling with and that they need to be a little more compassionate about. Well, and have you noticed that? Have you noticed that he's? I mean, as, is he doing what you would want him to do? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I threw you a slow pitch on this one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, um, you know, for all intents and purposes, Daniel is doing like everything that we would need him to do. I, I, by the way, in my mind, I, I realize I didn't write this. He's going to like a Christian college, so we know that he's getting like good counsel. So, but P.S. Forgot to write that down, but that's what's happening in my mind, and I wrote it. So there you go. Um, so, but but seriously, I think this is how do you like this is an awkward like, this is like awkward moment, right? Uh, hang on one second. Like you, like they are like kind of looking at you to be like, good job, you know what I mean? Like way to show them. Like what do you say to like somehow? How do we speak the truth in love? to them to make sure that they like because there's some level of which, you know, this is like a relationship fracturing conversation, it sounds like. Yeah, go ahead, Paul. Well, it sounds like the parents are you know, feeling like he's it's sustaining their reputation and like he's blaming them for his struggle. Yeah. And I think that's always a big issue. Anytime you have either a kid that's misbehaving or a parent that's kind of overreacting, whether right. you know, to it, is that often that's the thing. They feel like they're a bad parent. Right. Even if you share with somebody just how you parented in a situation, and if they know in their heart they would have done it differently, they sometimes instantly get defensive, right. and there isn't a, a negative thing. So people are very protective, I think, of their parenting ability and very concerned right. that they're doing a good job. So at some level, I think you need to say, I, can, I know you really love your son, right. and you need to kind of, before you really confront them, I think you need to kind of deal with some of their feelings because, right. you know, if this, this is affecting who they are as parents. And, I mean, the kid's not meaning it that way, but that's what happens to parents because we pour ourselves into our kids, and then when things don't go the right way, we go, oh, dear, what did I do wrong? I mean, I feel awful. And their anger may be partly, the response might be partly because not just anger at him, but our sentence about their own Slow to speak. Right, slow to speak, very good. Angie? I think, well, two things came to mind. One is that the dad in the situation needs a lot of tough love for referring to his son as a gay. Yeah. Because what he's just done is taken all the qualities he knows about his son and taken them all away. Yeah. All the good stuff. Um, and that's terrible. The other thing is, um, I know it was added in later, but I yeah. wouldn't assume because he goes to a Christian school that he's getting good counsel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And actually, even if he is, he's pretty much laid everything on the line by coming out. To his parents. Yeah. At school also. I would I would also like I, I like what Paula's saying about 
you need to deal with their feelings. But at some point in that conversation, there has to be some sort of, it's not like, can we just, like, you want, there's kind of two conversations. Okay, one is, let's talk about your feelings, now let's set those aside, because it's not about you. Right? Because it's, it's happened, it's done, he's dealing with it, so we can't, like, go back and try to, like, fix it all. Um, we, and, and what I don't want to say is that John and Barbara's response is not valid. I think it's very valid. Their feelings. Their feelings are very, very valid. Yeah, let me say that. Their feelings are very valid. The way they respond, it's not. Um, they needed to be quick to, they needed to be slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to listen. Um, so, yeah, I think, like, the reason I did this is because odds are the people, uh, this, that we are going to not, unless, like, the youth group leaders are maybe a little different, the odds are that those of you who are parents are going to, and like older, are going to deal with this on the parental level more than you're going to deal with it on like the actual person who's struggling level. Um, and that's why I kind of pushed it that way. Um, I think, um, I think like these verses, uh, like I think this verse really comes into play here of death and life from the power of the tongue. Like that was a major word of death just spoken to Daniel. Um, and my fear is, like, now have we shut down that conversation line between mom and dad? And then now who's he talking to? Right? The other issue that we talked about is, like, the struggle here is the desire to be loved and to feel a sense of belonging and not to feel like you don't belong. And so, I don't know if you remember, those of you who saw the video last week, one person was, like, crying as they were talking about their fear to tell their parents. Um, Presumably and, years later. Yeah, their parents' response because they didn't want to lose that relationship. So I think... Um, while I'm not a parent and I don't understand the depth of that struggle, I do think there is a reality to like you don't want to burn your bridge. Like, it's always better to stop. <laughs> you can always say something more later. You can't take back often what's been said, even with apologies. It can take years to build back bridges that mm-hmm. are burned. Um, and so you don't want to isolate. You don't want to cut off relationship with someone who, at their very core, the struggle is about I feel alone and mm-hmm. I feel misunderstood and I don't feel heard. Um, so I think just the desire to be. I want to add one more thing to this too. Is what you need, what we would need to encourage John and Barbara to do is to apologize and to make sure that conversation is open. Because another negative thing could be, well, I told my parents, and then we never spoke of it again. And so evidently, this is just something we don't talk about. So then, who did, well, of all, like as a parent, I would want Daniel talking to me more than I would want him talking to anybody else. Um, but now, who's he talking to? And I don't know, because I can't ask him, because I shut that down. Right? So, um, really good responses. Appreciate it. Um, we're going to keep moving. I know that we kind of pound through these things. Uh, we're going to move on to this closing word. I want to draw your attention to a couple things. The first is that this, this talk and compassion is not only about SSA and gender identity. It's also about a few other topics that we'll be bringing in. We're going to... Uh, Bethany Thomas and Jarrell Harper are going to team teach one on depression, despair, and doubt. Um, talking a lot about their personal experiences on some level with that issue. Um, we're going to be talking about um, parenting kids with developmental disabilities. We're going to be talking about bullying. And so a lot of the issues along the principle of sequence and reinforcement, like this, these things will come back, you know, and I'm actually keeping these in my office so that maybe when they teach I can kind of post your drawings and some key verses so that we're all remembering what that is. Um, I just want to draw your attention to learning task number eight, 
Um, I'm the keys here. Um, I've, I've been doing these, these seize the learning tasks, and I wrote it a little differently today for today, um, where I, I invite you to name a day that you'll seize the learning, and then review your notes and reflect on a point of discussion, and then read this blog post, which I've attached. Uh, it's called, I Hugged a Man in His Underwear, and I Am Proud. Um, and it's about a really unusual act of compassion towards the gate, somebody starting with SSA. Gave you some questions, maybe journal through. And you don't have to do this. I just invite you, and I would love to hear maybe some responses that you have to, um, to the seasonal learning if you happen to do it this week. So feel free to email me and say, say, hey, Kyle, like, as I was reading this, I was really struck by, and this is what made me think. If you don't do it, that's between you and the Lord, but I just wrote it. So just wanted to draw your attention to it. So Steph's going to hit the closing word here, um, and then we can move on. So go ahead. So Kyle asked me to, to do this, um, and um, Ephesians 4.15 is became quickly my favorite verse in working um, at Moody with students because um, I just came to realize that in general, most people either fall on the truth side of things or they fall on the love side of things. Most of us kind of tend toward one or the other as just our natural response. Um, And so I'm going to read this verse and then um, talk just a little bit more about that. So it says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. And um, as someone who grew up in a conservative Christian family and kind of was told my whole life the right way to do things, the truth side was always really easy for me. Like I had no trouble telling people what I thought was right or wrong or what I thought the Bible said about what was right or wrong. Um, and so the Lord really grew in me um, I would say that the way that I can most speak to his presence in my life is the amount of love and compassion that I feel versus the judgment that marked the first like part of my life. Um, and so I really believe that Christ in us is speaking the truth in love. So for those of us who struggle with the love part, when we do it, it's Christ. For those of you who are the loving type, who don't ever want to say the hard thing or don't ever want to be offensive, Christ in you is saying the true thing, even when it's scary and hard and possibly may cause conflict. Um, So I feel really passionately about this verse. Um, I feel passionately about the fact that it doesn't happen as much in the church as it should because we err on these two different sides. Um, At the same time, this issue is really difficult. And for me personally, several girls who I've either been friends with or mentored have made this choice. And so this is not something I'm just saying to you out of like, this is what you should do. It's something that I genuinely wrestle with and pray about and sometimes lay awake at night thinking about how do I love them, and yet how do I say what I believe to be true? Because I know I know what I believe to be true, but I also don't want to be labeled as judgmental or critical or harsh, even though I can't agree with the choices that they're making. And even as I was rereading this verse, um, I was honestly just convicted again, as it says, we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. And I think this whole conversation of, I deserve to be loved, I deserve to be happy, I should be able to be in a relationship that feels fulfilling to me, um, Christians judge me, Christians don't love me, um, those, they, there are elements of truth in them, but they can also be lies that begin to sound like truth um, and can make us really want to compromise what we believe to be true. And so, um, I, like, in closing, I want to challenge you to listen well, um, to love well, but to also not be afraid to stand by what you believe to be true. 
Um, and I don't know how to do that exactly. I can't give you a five-step plan because I certainly don't know how to do that perfectly. But I just want to read, because um, as we were talking about it, I said, you know, the, the best example I've heard of it, honestly, was the whole Truett Kathy story um, because he just did it really, really well. Like, I really respect him probably almost more than anyone else I've heard. Um, it says, on August 10th, so this is from the perspective of the gay activist. On August 10th, 2012, in the heat of the controversy, I got a surprise call from Dan Cathy. He had gotten my cell phone number from a mutual business contact serving campus groups. I took the call with great caution. He was going to tear me apart, right? Give me a piece of his mind, turn his lawyers on me. The first call lasted over an hour, and the private conversation led to more calls the next week and the week after. Dan Cathy knew how to text, and he would reach out to me as new questions came to his mind. This was not going to be a typical turn of events. His questions and a series of deeper conversations ultimately led to a number of in-person meetings with Dan and representatives from Chick-fil-A. He had never before had such dialogue with any member of the LGBT community. It was awkward at times, but always genuine and kind. It is not often that people with deeply held and completely opposing viewpoints actually risk sitting down and listening to one another. And it goes on to talk about how their conversations, and then Dan Cathy never backed down. He never said, I agree with what you're doing. He never said, I'm going to change what I'm doing. He never asked him to stop protesting. They just talked, and they got to know each other, and they got to understand each other. And, um, And I just look at that and think, like, that's the kind of people we need to be. That's how we need to embody Christ, is to love well and listen well, but not back down from what we hold to be true. And so that's just my challenge to you guys. And I think, as Kyle said, it continues to be a growing issue in the church. Um, And I think one we're going to have to continue to pray and really, really wisely walk through. Angie and I were talking briefly about this, and she said, you know, it's like a tightrope. And you're always walking this fine line of love and yet still speaking truth. And I think that's such a good picture of of who we need to be. Um, Like, that that blog post was written by the guy that was leading the protest against Chick-fil-A this summer. Um, and how he and the owner of Chick-fil-A kind of became friends. And like I said earlier, if you want to read that, I really encourage you to. You can find it on my Facebook. I posted it this week. Um, but um, what I want to draw your attention to is just this last learning task in the maybe, like, three minutes that we have together. Oh, that clock is the one I want to... So if we have five minutes left, celebrate that, everybody. And um, thank you. Um, I'd like to take this last five minutes and look at 7D at your tables named one way that the little church became a safer place for people struggling with same-sex attraction or gender identity disorder. Now, um, what I would like you to do is take maybe two and a half minutes at your table, two to two and a half minutes at your table to discuss that, uh, and then we'll hear the sample and then we'll close together. So, go for it. I'm 
set the stage all for this. Go ahead. I said, um, like, for me, the big thing is, like, not joking about that's so, like, that person's so gay or using um, the word, like, faggot, things like that, because that automatically applies that this is not a safe place for you to talk about it if it's something that we joke about. And we obviously are assuming that no one here struggles with that if we're talking in that way. And I've had conversations with people who may or may not be in this room uh, who... Who would say, well, who, who's struggling with this? You don't know. Yeah. You just never know. You just never, like, like any time you talk about an issue, by the way, here's a good rule of thumb. Always, always act as if somebody in the room is actually struggling with that. Right? Um, and actually, I have a prof- I'm taking a class where I'm learning this way of teaching, and last week's K-12 
case study was written a certain way, and my prof, I showed him my design, he sent it back, and he said, you need to rewrite this as if somebody in the room is struggling with it, because the first way I wrote it was maybe a little alienating. And I rewrote it, and he was like, that, that makes it safe. So, yeah, I think don't joke. And then what was this one over here? I heard probably a couple things going on, but... We were talking about how it's kind of difficult um, when you when there's preaching going on to the whole congregation, you don't know how each person in the congregation is going to take it. Now, some of these issues are easier to talk to in a small group. Okay. However, as Christians, we still can't, and we're studying through the book of Romans, and there is Romans chapter 1, can't tap dance around it. So right. it means something differently it does. So basically, we just came down with the, the basically what we've been saying the whole time here is, is telling the truth in love, and there may be it may be wise to have some kind of small group follow up if it's going to come right. as a large group thing. Right. Then it's probably there needs to be some sort of follow up or opportunities for people to talk to someone later in the safe situation. Um. Yeah, I think you hit on a really good point of, I agree, you can't, like, part of speaking the truth in love actually means speaking the truth. Yeah. And so we can't, like, if you were studying Romans, this is a really good example, we can't tap dance around that. But on the other hand, there's ways to surround, say, that sermon or that talk that make, if that if that sermon is placed in a, in a community where this issue might already be a little unsafe because of joking, because people get cut off from ministry involvements, because we, we don't assume someone is present, that becomes, then, that sermon is going to alienate people. But if we've created a culture in which, like, if the preacher assumes somebody in that room is struggling with it, um, if I, like, when I've been teaching this, I've assumed that someone in the room is struggling with it, um, we don't joke with it, that makes it a safe place in which that conversation can happen. And I think you hit this on this point, the small groups is really effective. Like, having a conversation in a small group setting um, it's really important. I have to say no to your comment because we got to go. Um, I, I just want to let you know, I really, really appreciate your, your learning and your input. This has been really profitable for me. Um, would somebody mind closing us in prayer before we head off uh, to service? I'd like to pray, but I'd also like to just make one more comment. Too. You can only pray. You can't make a comment. I will pray and make a comment. You cannot pray. You cannot make a comment. Jeff, I just need you to pray. Please pray. Go ahead. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to talk about things that are issues in our lives and issues around us. That your word speaks volumes about how we need to act with people and not react and or how we can serve you and show love and truth at the same time. But we know this only comes from your Holy Spirit and we ask that your spirit would permeate our lives and thinking around all kinds of human issues that we all need to deal with. Let's Lord be like Christ in his name. Amen. Thanks for being here. Enjoy service. If the men in the room wouldn't mind stacking chairs for me, that'd be helpful.